Okay, tonight, guys, we're going to, you know, we finished up the series looking at Acts chapter 2 and the focus of the church. Today, I want to talk about praying for each other. And uh, specifically, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 11. With most of the epistles, they start off with a prayer of thanksgiving. And so Paul's going to be praying for the Philippians, telling them what he's praying for them about. And from that, we can talk about how we can pray for each other. Because I find that we know that we need to pray for each other. And we might know some specific things about people to pray for them about, but in a lot of cases, we don't really know how to pray for each other. We don't really know, well, they don't have anything going on in their life right now. How do I pray for them? Oh, well, God just blessed them. Well, that's pretty general. Paul's going to give us some specific things that we can pray for each other about. And so uh, let's look at these verses together, and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to focus on. Okay? Look at me with me at verse 3. He says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think of this just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge, in all discernment, that you may be able to approve the things which are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. So, okay, so if we look at these verses, we're actually going to see a couple of things about how we can pray for each other. First of all, he's going to talk about our attitude. So he's going to mention four things that should be governing our attitude when we pray for other people, okay? Especially other believers. We're going to talk about praying for other believers here. And then we're going to look at four things to pray for. We can actually make it five, but we're going to just focus on four, okay? So let's talk about our attitude. The first one is uh, verse 3. He says, I thank God upon my every remembrance of you. So the first thing I would say about our attitude is when we are praying for people, we need to be thankful. You say, well, that, you know, okay, I understand that. Look, I'm thankful for someone, but that's kind of difficult, isn't it? I mean, for some people, it would be easy to look at them and find something to be thankful about concerning them. But I think if it's, it would take some time. You need to process it. If you don't know the person well, surely you can find something to be thankful for them about. 
And if anything, you could say, Lord, I thank you that they're a part of our family here. You, you know what I'm saying? That they come here, that they are a part of the church, that they know you. But I think we need to learn to express thanks, okay? So when we're praying for people, we need to be thankful. Thankful for them. Thankful to God. Um, he goes out a little bit step further, and so this is one that I think is very interesting, that is oftentimes we don't even talk this way, but our prayers should be marked by joy that they are saved. I think when we pray for people, even if you've got a problem with them, if they know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can have joy that they're saved. Well, I got a problem with it right now, George. Well, you know, how can I have joy? I can't, I'm, right now I feel anger, not joy towards them. Where, where's my joy come from? Well, I'm not saying be happy with them. I'm saying have joy. Joy actually will come from the Lord. I can be joyous, excuse me, I can be joyful because if they know Christ, I know that God's going to work in their heart and God's going to mold them and bring them to where they need to be. Now, immediately I have to recognize that what I'm angry about with them, I may not necessarily be right. Did you understand? I need the Lord to show me that. But at least I can be joyful that as a brother and sister in Christ, when I pray for them, I can be thankful that they know Jesus as well. Who is the judge? Who is the arbitrator? Who is the reconciler? Do, do, do you understand? I can have joy because they know Jesus. So our prayer should be marked by joy. Because notice what he says there, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. And look what his joy is based on. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He's thankful that they have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's thankful that they're saved. So our, our, our prayers need to be marked, not just by thankfulness, but by joy. So that's an attitude that we need to have. Verse 6 goes one step further. And so when I pray for other people, I can pray with confidence. We should have a confidence that God will complete his work in their lives. Now, we've, we've talked about this already, that we're all works in progress, right? Would everybody agree with that? Okay, we're all, God's working on us, he's dealing with us, it's not a quick thing, he's, he's molding an oak tree, he's not planting a poplar. He's not planting a poplar which springs up quickly, that's cheap wood. He's molding an oak tree that takes years to mature. And so, even though I'm praying for somebody who maybe has some issues going on in their life, and maybe I'm upset with them or whatever, I can have, I can be thankful, I can be joyous because they know the Lord, but I can have confidence because I know, because they know Jesus, He's going to complete His work in their life. He's going to mold them into the image of Christ. Now again, that's not saying that they're going to take they're going to come to you and, and because you are right and they're wrong. This has nothing to do with the question of you are right and they're wrong. This has to do with they're going to become who Christ wants them to be. And you need to have confidence that God is going to be working in their lives. So 
That brings us to the fourth point, which we see in verses 7 to 8. So here he talks about, in verse 7, he talks about, he thinks about them often because they're in his heart. Verse 8, he says, For God is my witness how I greatly long for you all with the affection of Christ. So this is the final point, and I think this is the one that we're probably going to struggle with. We should pray because we truly love them. We should pray because we truly love them. Well, I, you know, I don't know if I can say that because of so-and-so. No, no, no. If you say you hate your brother, the truth is not in you, John says. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, even though you've got something going on, you can still express love out of your life towards them. And I think we understand that because all of us are a part of families. And do family members, extended family members, cousins and stuff, do they do things that irritate us? Do they do things that offend us? Do they hurt us? But even in spite of that, we can still what? Love them, right? We can still love them. Now, that's not condoning what they've done. That's not saying that they're, they're okay, I'm forgiving them. You know, I mean, you need to forgive them, but forgiveness isn't forgetting or absolving them of their issue. Forgiveness is placing them in the hands of God and freeing yourself from that burden. Loving them is something that you can do even in spite of who they are. And so we should truly pray. We should pray because we truly love them. You understand? We truly love them. So you see those four attitudes. We see uh, thankfulness. We see joy. We see confidence in what God has done. And we see love. Now, all right. So let me just go ahead and point out those four things here and make a statement. Okay, so here's my statement. Thankfulness, joy, confidence, love. In and of your own strength, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to do it. You, you are, I mean, why? Because you're human. In and of your own strength, you're not going to be able to do it. Well, why are we told to do that? Because somebody has to do it through you. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. He's the one who fills you with love. He's the one, when you talk about being thankful for someone, why am I being thankful? I'm being thankful because of what God can do through them, or what God is, because God is in them. I'm, I'm thankful because of God. I have joy because of the Lord. I have confidence about what He's going to do in their life. I'm able to love because He gives me the ability to love. In and of yourself, you can't do it. So here we're talking about Really, to be honest with you, spirit empowerment to pray. If you want to, if you want to write that down, we're talking about spirit empowerment to pray for other people. Because when the spirit empowers you to pray for others, you will be thankful for them. You will have joy because of what God's going to be doing in their life. You will have confidence because he's going to complete his task in their life, molding them into the image of Christ. And with that empowerment, you can love them. Works and all. So you say, okay, okay, that's the attitude then 
how do we pray then? Well, I think it's interesting because he spends verses 9, 10, and 11 talking about four, I think we can make it even five if, if I wanted to, but we're just going to focus on four, four things to pray about for people. And when I go through them, you will realize, yeah, I need somebody to pray for me about these things. These are things to pray for each other about. These are things that all of us need prayer about. So as you pray for others, we should be encouraged to pray for each other, pray for you about those things. So here's what they are. First of all, I think it's interesting. He talked about the attitude of love in verse verse 8. We get in verse 9, and he says, we need to pray that your love or their love, the person that you're praying for, their love continues to grow more and more. So you need to pray that the person, the believer that you're praying for, that other person, that love begins to grow in their life more and more. That's what it means here when he says in verse 9 that your love may still abound still more and more. Abounding means overflowing. It's talking about that their lives overflow with love, that they grow to the point where their actions towards other people are based on love. It's because of love coming out of them. And so you need to pray for them. I would even say as we talk about praying for other people, these are things you need to be praying for yourself. And they're all interconnected. We're going to see that here in a moment. They're all interconnected. So the first thing we want to pray for is that their love continues to grow more and more. Now, this is not just some ooey-gooey, not just some ooey-gooey love feeling. Oh, I love you. Kissy, kissy, love you. Now, we're not talking about that, okay? Uh, Most people aren't even into that. It's talking about a love that comes out of something that's expressed. Look at what it says there in verse 9. I pray that your love may abound still more and more in, this is where the love is expressed in, knowledge and all discernment. So love is going to be expressed in love and, I mean, in knowledge and discernment. Now, knowledge there is is not a knowledge of facts, but a knowledge by experience. So, We need to pray that their love is expressed in personal knowledge of Christ, but also in discernment. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because sometimes you can love without discernment. You know know what I mean by that? You know, I talk to parents all the time who... Whose, whose child is not doing what they should be doing, they're heading in the wrong direction, and mom or dad or grandma is enabling that child, and the reason why they're enabling them is because, and this is what they always say to me, love. Love. Well, I'm going to be honest with you, that's love without what? Discernment. That's love without discernment. Because love isn't always expressed in enablement. Love also is expressed in restriction. Let me repeat that. Love is not always expressed in enablement. 
Love sometimes is expressed in restriction. Another way of saying that love is sometimes expressed in tough love. Do you know what I'm saying? It's sometimes like I'm a, I'm a dad. I will tell my children, no, you can't do that because I love them. Did you understand what I'm saying? You can't, you can't go out to this party or you can't hang out with those people. You can't do that. It's because of love that has discernment. Enablement would say, oh, well, just go ahead. Be, be careful. Don't get in trouble. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's not love. So he's saying that when we pray for people about love, we want them to grow in their love through First of all, knowledge, that intimate relationship with Christ, but also in what? Discernment. You know, I often, oftentimes we'll meet people in our church, and you can tell a lot of times their strength is their weakness. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I sometimes meet people whose, some would say their spiritual gift is mercy. You ever met somebody who's very merciful? But it's also their weakness. Because the problem with continually showing mercy is, is that that's your first reaction, and sometimes your, your first reaction is not guided by discernment. Because in some situations, mercy may not be the expression of love that needs to be shown. Do you understand what I'm saying? It needs to be something more than that. So, okay, so I'm going to pray... Number one, that they abound in love. But then number two, I'm going to pray that this love is expressed in knowledge, knowledge of Christ personally, and discernment. He goes on, the third thing now, which we could divide those into two things, but I'm just going to make one statement and I'll talk about the two here. We see it in verse 10. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So here's what I would say. We need to pray that they will be discerning about how they live their lives. So I'm gonna, that's the general statement. We need to pray that they'll be discerning about how to live their lives. Now, I, when I became a believer, I was in a church setting, an independent Baptist church setting, where people would tell you, don't go there. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do whatever. And, and the problem is, is with that, although there might be some compliance at first, that always produces rebellion. I'm just going to be honest with you. When it, when it comes in a church setting, maybe in a family setting that's different, but in a church setting that, that will produce a rebellion in some way. What we should be doing is, number one, teaching what the Scripture teaches, but we need to pray that the person that, that I'm praying for is able to discern how to live their lives. They're able to mature enough to see, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be going here. I shouldn't be watching this. I shouldn't be doing this thing. In fact, I'll break it down to you a little bit further here. He says two things. Number one, that I may be may approve what is excellent. So what he's talking about there is I need to have the discernment to be able to know right from wrong. And I think we live in a culture today where I'm surprised there's a lot of Christians that don't even know what right from wrong is anymore. 
Do, do you know what I mean? They don't, don't even know what right from wrong is. I mean, years ago we knew. Now, what do you mean I shouldn't be doing this? We need to pray that they're able to approve what is right and wrong. What is right and wrong? The other thing that I need to do is I need to pray, it says there, that they may be sincere and without offense. Basically, what he's talking about there is that they would be blameless when Jesus comes back. So I'm not just going to pray that they understand between the difference between right and wrong and be able to prove what's excellent. I'm going to pray that God help them to be ready with their lives and how they live their lives for when Jesus comes back. Because we don't know when he'll come back. And he could come soon. Do you understand? He could come soon. But I want them to be ready so that they're not embarrassed. Do you know what I'm saying? Because they have to answer. So that third third thing is we need to pray that they're discerning about how they live their lives. Now, the final thing we see in verse 11 being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. I need to pray, we need to pray that they will be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. That's what the fruits of righteousness are. The fruits are what God produces in their lives. And if you need to be reminded about what they are, it's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. I can't think of a better list to pray for people about. God, help them. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So think about that. Some of these... You're already thinking about somebody who's saying, yeah, I really need to pray that they're a little bit more patient, you know, or, or a little bit more loving, you know, or self-controlled. But for other, I just think we need to pray about all of these for, for everyone, that they begin to allow the Spirit to produce in their lives what they need to do. Why? Because when you see the fruits in their life, that's an evidence of what? That the Holy Spirit is filling them, that the Holy Spirit is working in their life. You know, I, I'll just go ahead and say this right now. You know, there are some groups that say the evidence of the filling of the Spirit is tongues. Okay, that may be true, may not be true. I, I kind of don't lean that way. I'm going to tell you what the evidence of the filling of the Spirit is. It's not an experience. It's verse 22 and 23 of Galatians chapter 5. When you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is going to be producing in your life these fruits. Bottom line. It's not an experience. Because I've met people who've had wonderful experiences, but it's interesting to me, these gifts, these fruits that are supposed to be evidence of the Spirit's work in your life, I don't see them. I don't see them in their lives. You mean to tell me the Holy Spirit's working your life, but he's not producing what his word said he's going to produce? So I need to pray that they'll be filled with the Spirit, with the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, so let's go back through that list again, okay? So I'm going to pray that they continue to grow more and more in love, 
okay, that their love continues to grow more and more in love. I'm going to pray that that love is expressed in knowledge and discernment. And I'm going to pray that they'll be discerning about how they'll live their lives. And then I'm going to pray that they're filled with the fruits of the Spirit. You know, if, if we look at that list, we would ha- we'd all have to agree, man, that's how we should be praying for ourselves. Isn't it interesting that Paul is saying this to the Philippians? This is what I'm praying for you about. And I think that's a good starting point for ourselves tonight as we pray. As we pray for, you know, as we pray through the list, as we see names, as we pray for our church, even if you just pray for our church in general, Lord, may our church be a church where these four things are evident that we're praying for. So, let me pray for us. Lord, we love you, and uh, we thank you for your love for us, and I thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, with these attitudes. May we be empowered by the Spirit to pray with thanksgiving and joy, confidence, and love. And Lord, when we pray for each other and for ourselves, would you help us to pray in these four areas? Lord, would you do your work in our lives and in our church? Would you transform us by the power of your Spirit? Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for your goodness. And I just thank you for this time that we can pray now in Christ's name. Amen.